in elementary school, I still remember my first tutoring moment. I was in grade five and I was asked to stay in for some lunch recesses to help um, kindergarten students learn to trace letters. And I loved it. Welcome to the Chasing Squirrels podcast. This is episode seven. And on this episode, I'll be talking with Diana Dancio. Diana is a teacher candidate at York University and currently involved in her final practicum. Conversation tonight with Diana brought back a lot of memories from my time as a teacher candidate. And the stories that she shares in our conversation really put me back in that candidacy that I had just over um, 10 years ago. What I found remarkable was the fact that some of the stories, the origin stories that she and I shared start to sound like common themes when you're beginning your work in education. And the flow of the combo I thought was really, really cool. I hope you enjoy this conversation and I definitely look forward to touching base with Diana sometime in the future when she gets her contract and is in front of the classroom running the show all on her own. I'm pretty sure that that's going to be an amazing experience. Here's the episode. All right. Good evening, Diana. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. I would like to welcome you to the Chasing Squirrels podcast. Thanks, I'm thrilled friend. to be able to... You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to bring you to this show. Um, I will say you are the first teacher candidate. Oh, lots of pressure. To come on this show. Well, you know, it's it's you know, but it's cool pressure. Yeah, it, really it is, is. It is. And and one of the things that I can say from I haven't been teaching a, a long, long time. I'm just over. I guess I'm in my twelfth year. Mm-hmm. Is that the thrill of sort of being uh, in one of my other podcast? One of my other podcasts. I was talking with a, a teacher, and I and I asked her if she's comfortable with being the only not the best but the only and uh her name is aj gonzalez and she said you know she doesn't want to be the only but if she has to be the only she'll do it she just hopes other people will come along with her yeah and i I thought a lot about that about the power of being the only and kind of being the one that steps forward and goes for it so big kudos for you for jumping in and coming out to play tonight it's been a big step out of my comfort zone (laughs) Why is that? Why, why does it? Why does it feel like it's going outside of your comfort zone? I actually have a really um, big fear of public speaking. I've always had oh. since I was a kid, which is funny because I'm going into teaching. Yeah. But for some reason, just like when I'm in front of a class and I do my placement, I'm totally fine. I'm totally comfortable. But then when I have to go in front of my like a tutorial in university or high when I was in high school or elementary school, I just have a really big fear I start getting really nervous and I don't know just always been like that well I'll I'll, I'll, I'll throw down I wish I could throw out the the sort of like the first time to podcasts badges for you because I will say you know I don't I don't know I don't think I have thousands of listeners but I will tell you definitely learning in a public forum like this mm-hmm. and kind of sharing in a public forum and just going for it I wish I really do wish that there was this possibility when I was coming through faculty. Because for me, it really was, I had my faculty advisor, so the individuals that I worked, my homeroom teacher, I I went to U of T. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, he was phenomenal. A gentleman, his name is Michael Tudor. Mm -hmm. And if he ever ever hears this podcast, um, a, a part of the energy that I bring to this is entirely because of him, just sort of, he was so gregarious and so open and so willing to just help. Yeah. And I always, I always think to myself, you know, it's so powerful to be able to learn like this in public. And mm-hmm. you know what? Good for you for, for sort of stepping out and giving it a try. What do you think it is about this that doesn't make it feel necessarily like, what is it, what is it about teaching that doesn't make it feel like public speaking? I don't know. I actually don't know because before I applied to the program my program and stuff like that I I didn't know how it was gonna go 
So when I went into my first placement, I told my MT, I'm like, I don't have a backup plan. Like, this is, I don't have like anything to fall onto. Like, I want to be a teacher, but I've never taught a class before. So she told me after my first lesson that once I got up there, like she knew how nervous I was before and like shaky and stuff like that. But she said, once I got up there, you couldn't even tell I was nervous anymore until. What did it, what did it feel like on the inside? If when my, I still remember my first lesson, it went by so quickly and it just felt fun. I guess, I don't know, maybe I just feel more comfortable around students because I know, I don't know, I don't know. I really don't know what it is. Because I know how it feels to be them, like when I was in high school and elementary school and I was always so nervous in class to raise my hand or to get picked on by a teacher, so I don't know. Those are, it's, it's sort of a powerful word you, you threw down there. And, and you, you, you mentioned the, the, the picked on. Um, mm. I still remember, I still remember my grade three speech. Like, like that. I can go right back there. My grade three speech was on Terry Fox. Mm-hmm. And I, I was ready. You know, I, I knew it. I had sort of read up on him so much. Mm-hmm. I, I felt it. I was like at home, you know, in front of the mirror going through my cue cards. And then the, um, the moment came, you know. Yeah. Chris Clough, Chris, come on up. And it was just like that, that cue, the way it was said, the class looking at me. I got up in front and the shaking started. Yeah. And the, and the shaking made it down into my hips. Like it looked, probably looked like, you know, um, Dancing with the Stars, except it was with <laughs> cue cards. And at some point, the cue cards all went and slipped oh. out of my hand. Yeah. And of course, I hadn't, I hadn't numbered them. You know what it is? It's almost like the teacher's worst nightmare, except I was having it in grade three. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I have that as my, kind of as my, I guess it's like the, the, the sensitivity trigger. When I think about when I ask students to do things in class, mm-hmm. to measure not only their preparedness and the actual having some eyes on the task that they're supposed to do ahead of time. That's always good to have you actually finish the task. I'm not going to yeah. out you in front of the whole group. But also the mental preparedness. So it's not just that, that content stuff. Like, what's their state of mind? And trying to create those opportunities for that they don't feel like they're picked on. Because that was a powerful that was a powerful word that you said, and and it, it if I were to guess, probably plays into the public speaking thing for you. Yeah, I I just always felt like in elementary school and high school, I didn't have there wasn't enough opportunity to have discussions like you do in university tutorial classrooms where you can kind of just come together and just talk about a reading that you did right it's always kind of just like the teacher asks a question someone raises their hand so it was always like I just didn't get I just never had the opportunity to get comfortable and that's what I would sorry no no go ahead go ahead that's what I would like to be able to do in my own classrooms in the future, like have students be comfortable. So, yeah, it just, cause I know how it feels to not be ready to answer a question, to be scared to be wrong. And then the teacher just asks you to answer it, but you don't have an answer prepared or you're just scared that you, something might come out wrong. And then the same, same thing you described, like just getting shaky and yeah. I can think back on it now and it's, I mean, I often tell the story in class when I'm trying to kind of cajole and, and help and build students to be able to speak in front of the class. Mm-hmm. And they always get a good laugh out of it. But I, I do have to kind of, I have to, I have to set myself upright to tell the story because it is, it's a powerful memory for me. Mm-hmm. I think it was a, it's a transformational memory for me. Yeah. When I think back, like that turning point, that thing that when I go back and I, you sort of look at some of those life lessons that, you know, as you become a young adult and adult, if you have the time to become reflective, you're like, yeah, that was the moment that I learned. That was the moment that my paradigms kind of shifted. Mm-hmm. So what, I, what I'd like to know is what is your sort of coming to teaching story? What, what sort of brought this as a, you've already kind of mentioned is that <laughs> no backup plan. You're going for it. Just like going for the teaching. What put it it on the radar in the first place? Well, it's actually funny because when you talk to most teachers or teacher candidates, everyone always says, well, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a teacher. But my story is actually really different. Throughout high school, I juggled between so many different career ideas because I 
I couldn't decide on anything. Like, I come from a family that's so math, science based. Like, my parents are both mechanical engineers, so math was really important. Um, not that they forced me to go in that direction, but that's kind of what my, just kind of what was important. So in high school, I went from wanting to be like an optometrist, from pharmacologist, from um, at one point when I finally decided I wanted to go into English for university, that's when I was kind of like, well, what am I going to do? Journalism? I don't know. And then I still remember the day I was in, I was at my friend's house and my mom was talking with her friends, a um, bunch of moms that I grew up with. And they were like, why don't you be a high school English teacher? And I'm like, huh, that sounds cool. So then I started to do research into it and then I started to think about it more. And I'm like, I love helping kids. I've always done tutoring since um, in elementary school. I still remember my first tutoring moment I was in grade five and I was asked to stay in for some lunch recesses to help um, kindergarten students learn to trace letters and I loved it so I was like well if this is something I enjoy and I loved English because of my tutor that I had in high school who really brought out writing and my love for reading and yeah so then I started to look into it that way and then yeah that's how it came came to me in grade 12 I dropped advanced functions for an e-learning course called intro to literary study and then yeah that's awesome yeah awesome. Um, it's interesting because I, I feel what you bring to mind is that my um, my path to teaching is not yeah, it's it's quite asymmetrical and if uh, one of the questions I've asked other people was sort of, did you find teaching or did teaching find you? Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of like a catchy way to sort of bring out the story as to how you, how you become who you are right now in the classroom. For me, um, my parents, there was no, there was no pressure to be a thing. Like there was no yeah. pressure where they, they said to me, we would really like you. Like there was, I have no memory of them ever saying, geez, you know, it'd be really nice, a doctor? Like, do you think it would be a doctor or a lawyer? Like, they never threw down like that. Yeah. They were always very much of the mind. Well, one, I was very independent, very independent from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of had my own work. I, I, I got a job. I got money. I, I maintained sort of like a the average. And when I went to university, it was it was really easy to go, I, I, thinking back. Like, my marks were in the 70s. Yeah. I, 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 I was just accepted to all the universities that I applied to and then I decided to go to the one that none of my friends went to so I literally just launched out of my hometown and said I'm out of here <laughs> but yeah but it's sort of I sort of worked in restaurants all through high school yeah and then went to university for art and drama and uh, um, French and sociology and psychology ended up just staying in drama worked mm-hmm. in restaurants at the same time then finished university, traveled, got my chef's papers, became a snowboard instructor, then came back and did some acting, then moved to Toronto and then did some more chefing. And then I was kind of at a point where I was like, what else am I going to do? And at that point, just like it was for you, someone said, well, why don't you become a teacher? And I'm like, what? Oh, <laughs> yeah. hmm. And then I did the same thing. I started to do research. I yeah. started looking. I'm like, I could actually do this thing. Mm-hmm. Me. I could be a teacher. And then it kind of walked, like it became all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. What was the moment for you where it went from the idea and the research and then it became something that you really wanted? I think when I, uh, because when I first applied for university, I just applied for bachelors of English. So I got accepted to York because I was planning to apply to the concurrent program. And Mm -hmm. I did that. I applied to it in first year so I could get accepted for second year of university and I think it was once I got accepted because I did that application like that was something I did on my own I wrote my statement on my own I got it I didn't have anyone edit it or look over it and then I got accepted and I was like whoa like (laughs) this is this must be a sign (laughs) because and I was so my parents were so proud of me because they were the same they didn't push me into anything they were just like you know do what makes you happy and then they were so proud of me. I was so proud of myself. And I was like, hey, this, I, I think this is for me. And then 
once I actually finally got into my placement, I started teaching my first lessons. It just fell in place. Like, it just felt right. That's so cool. Do you have any memory of, when I think back, so for me, thinking about, you know, me finding teaching or teaching finding me, do you have sort of memories or moments looking back before the idea that teaching came into your head, let's say, that it kind of became that crystallized thing in your head? Mm -hmm. Can you go back and think of moments where you were already kind of test driving the idea, but your brain wasn't saying, hey, you could become a teacher? I think back, I had a, a few moments throughout high school and definitely through my culinary, um, during my culinary years, like I was writing manuals, I was training young chefs when I was mm -hmm. out, when I traveled up west, snowboard instructor, like I was teaching there. At university, I was a TA, a construction TA for the drama department. Yeah. But all of that happened before my awareness of a teacher ever came down the pike. Mm -hmm. Can you think back on the past where you were doing these teacher things that sort of like all of a sudden when you're writing down on your proposal, like what other uh, alternative teaching experience have you had? You're like, oh my gosh, I did this. <laughs> and I did that. Now, how did I not notice this? What do you think? Can you think back? Do you have any memories like that? Yeah, I actually do. Cause like I said, I did tutoring. So my first memory is when I was in grade five and I tutored kindergarten students. I also got asked by a lot of my teachers in elementary school to tutor my friends. I had one friend that was having trouble with science and we were sitting in my kitchen and I was trying to help her. And she was like, man, Diana, can you just give me the answer? And I still remember telling her like, no, I want you to get to the answer on your own. And it's Bravo. so funny. Good for you, good for you. It's so funny to think back on that. And then in high school, like I edited a lot of my friends' papers. Like I would help them with, um, because I was, I had an English tutor. So I guess people looked up to me like someone who was really good at English. So I would, help them with that and yeah I think those were some of those moments where I just always wanted to help people that's cool that's cool you're you you made me think of oh god maybe I was I had to be in grade four and the people the family that was babysitting my sister and I their oldest daughter was in grade eight mm -hmm. and I just thought of this I just thought of this but it's it's sort of hilarious and just slightly strange so I'm in grade four and I was helping their grade eight daughter with her English homework now I know curriculum is you know it's a little bit more kind of fluid at the elementary level yeah but fundamentally developmentally there is something different between a grade four student and uh, a grade eight student in the content but I can remember I can remember and they yeah, I, I'm sure they, they did the best they could. Like I said, I wasn't a great kid, but mm -hmm. I this was a it was a bit of a strange family, <laughs> and I I was tutoring their oldest daughter. But that's so funny, like having that experience, and then the expectation again, and like I also helped their next daughter down with math, and I'm not a math person at all. Yeah, she was even she was even a math person, so I guess that kind of I guess there's one more thing I could put in there. Yes, I was teaching even at elementary school. Yeah, that's crazy. So long ago. <laughs> Um, can you think of anyone in particular that was kind of like held that door open for you? Sort of kept that opportunity there that, uh, you know, some people in the past have said their parents, somebody, you know, like that formative teacher, but do you have a memory of a coach or a teacher that sort of kind of became that, a little bit of that template or that model of, yeah, that teacher, like I didn't realize how, how sort of important they were until I started to think about how they treated me or what they sort of helped me with or how they talked with me. Yeah, I actually have, because we talk about this in our um, ed classes and stuff like that, and I actually have a lot of teachers that, because, yeah, my parents always helped me, they always challenged me and stuff like that, but they're my parents, right? And I remember in elementary school, I had my grade 7 teacher, she, she always challenged me, and she was always kind of like, intimidating but really funny at the same time and I still remember in grade eight she wasn't my teacher anymore but I didn't get any awards at graduation and mm -hmm. I was so bummed out about it and I still remember walking by her in the hallway she's like you know I would have given you an award if I had a choice and I was like wow like you actually believed in me 
I had a different teacher who, she was a kindergarten teacher and she never taught me. I never had her as a teacher, but she actually, I was really into long distance running in grade seven and eight. And in, mm-hmm. in grade eight, when I was training for cross country and then after when I was training for track, she would stay with me after school for an hour and she would train me because she was a marathon runner. Wow. And she would train with me and she would teach me about what to eat before a race, how to get um, how to keep your pace during the race and then to sprint in those last few seconds. And I, I still, when I think about it now, I'm like, she, she didn't have to do that. She didn't have to do that, right? Like right. she didn't, I wasn't her student. I wasn't, I didn't even know of her in the school until I started doing cross country and track. And yeah, now that I think about it, I'm like, wow. Like she, she just cared, you know, she just saw something in me and she cared. And then in, in high school, I had my French teacher in grade, hello? I'm still here. I just, I, I, I muted my mic so I can't. Oh, sorry. So, everything just, no, no. everything turned off. I won't do that again. Sorry. <laughs> no, so, no, I didn't. I'm still not used to this podcasting right. stuff, so I don't know. Um, my, I had a grade 10, grade 11, grade 10 and grade 11 French teacher. And in grade 11, I had a little bit of a hard time in school. And I was never the type of student to give attitude in class. But I was having a really bad day. I remember this so clearly. And I was having such a bad day. And I kind of, I don't remember what I said, but I, I think I kind of said something. And then she said something. And then I kind of got a little bit angry. And then there was kind of that moment at class. But I was never this type of student. And then near the end of class, she just walked by and she left a note on my desk. And then I opened it. And it was like, Diana, I'm so sorry for upsetting you. I didn't mean to... Um, I didn't mean to do that, whatever. And then I wrote her a note back and I'm like, I'm so sorry for whatever. We were just apologizing through notes. (laughs) And it's just these teachers that either challenged me or either just cared about me that really made a difference in my life. (laughs) That's, I think that's a, um, that's a very potent combination and I, and I share your sentiments, like my memories of some of the teachers that stick with me. And it's for, it's for good, good and bad, but it, it has less to do with the content. And this mm. quote has been said time and time and time again. It's, it's, not about, it's not about what they taught you, it's how they taught you. Yeah. It's, it's about how the teacher made you feel and maybe how they made you think, not mm-hmm. how they made you memorize something. Exactly, yeah. So what do you what do you take forward to that? So right now you're a teacher candidate mm-hmm. with York University. Yes. Are you are you in a practicum right now? Yes? Yeah, I'm once a week and then in April I have my twenty day block. So before we get I want to talk a little bit about, you know, just the reality the reality of being in practicum and how that's uh, how that changes from the classroom experience, mm-hmm. but but taking from taking cues from some of those teachers that challenged and, and cared for you, what becomes a little bit of your mission as you step into the classroom? So without you know hanging it on any particular content, what type of a person do you aim to be with these students? I guess what I'd really like and what what I take from those teachers that I had is that I want to be like someone that my students can trust and someone that my students will know that I'm there to support them. Like if they need help, not to be ashamed to come to me and ask questions or um, to know that I'm not there to judge them if they make a mistake and that um, I always I want my classrooms in the future to be an environment where peop where students are comfortable and to say something even if they don't feel one hundred percent about what they're saying because that was something I didn't have at all in elementary or high school in many of my classes that I was always so scared to say something because I was scared that I was gonna be wrong or that students were gonna make fun of me for saying something 
stupid or something like that. So I want to be just that figure that can, you know, make students feel comfortable to try things out, to take risks. Like we even spoke on the pod, the On Ed Mentors podcast, like just mm -hmm. a, a space where students can take risks. I want to be able to bring that. Awesome. So I'm going to put that, I'm going to put a question to you then that I actually, I didn't get a chance to get to when we were talking on On Ed, Ment on Ed Mentors. Mm -hmm. So what is, I think you did, you, you mentioned this at the tail end, it was the wrap up of it. In specifically in this practicum that you're, you're in right now and, and going to be growing into, what is, um, what is something sort of positive that you're developing that, that is kind of risky for you? So what's the, what's the thing that you're sort of taking a chance on yourself or taking a chance on the students or taking a chance on, on learning it in public? Just like this whole, you know, I'm going to say you've pretty much burst through the bubble of, of public speaking fear. Mm -hmm. um, I've made the joke before, my thousands and thousands of listeners <laughs> you have no idea that you have a fear of public speaking. Totally joking, right? But the, w what what bubble have you? Do you feel like you've you, you could be pushing through in this practicum? Well, challenge yourself. Well, this block is actually going to be a real challenge for me because I'm going to be teaching a lot of units that are out of my teachables. So my teachables are English and history, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be teaching a unit on math, geography. I think dance, gym, all these things that I pretty much know nothing about. But I want to be able to to make it fun. And I and I want to, we talked about this on Audit Mentors about um, doing things outside of your teachables and stuff like that and that you're learning mm -hmm. at the same time of the students as the students. And that's actually what I've been doing in my, when I'm at my placement once a week and they do math and I go around the classroom to help them with um their worksheets and stuff like that last week we were doing fractions and a student asked me a question and they were like I don't know how to do this question and I actually had no idea how to do it either so I'm like you know what <laughs> I'm gonna be right back I'm gonna figure it out and I'm gonna be right back and then I went to another student in the class that knew how to do it and I'm like how do you do this question and he told me I'm like thank you so much and then I went back to the other student and I'm like I found out from this other student and I'm gonna tell you right now how to do it and then he figured it out and it worked out and it's kind That's of awesome. like pardon? It's awesome. No, you can say it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, let alone the fact, um, and so I teach in high school. I, um, I, I don't think I will ever be given the opportunity to teach dance. Mm -hmm. But I got to tell you, like, my my jaw would just hit the like again. Okay, so my current portfolio, there's it's it's not likely in my current portfolio. I work with students that have been ex expelled and suspended. Mm -hmm. um, it's not likely I'm going to get a dance course that comes my way. But I look forward to the opportunity. It's such a crazy idea to me. But I look forward to the opportunity. If yeah. it's it's not likely just because I don't at high school the certifications are a little bit different. I think I would actually have to have some sort of dance training. Yeah. Um, but I look forward to connecting with you after you've taught dance. Are you a dancer? Can you dance? No, I'm not a dancer. <laughs> no, you don't consider yourself a dancer. No. Because because it is one of those. I have a. A colleague from a long time back, his name is Gordon, and I can remember him. Um, this is when I was still in the restaurant business. I wasn't even teaching; wasn't there yet. And mm -hmm. he stepping into a, a elementary, I think it was probably SK or grade one, and he was still working at the restaurant on weekends. And he came in, and the look on his face was, "I'm teaching French. I'm teaching math. I'm teaching English. I'm teaching. I forget the arts that he said he was teaching." And I just, I looked at him like, wow, like, I always thought when, well, I can't say always because I can't remember myself exactly in elementary, mm -hmm. but I had no clue from that end of the lens that there were so many layers to an elementary teacher's day. I've since then learned, like, I I am mind blown at the, at the complexity of an elementary school teacher's day. Yeah. I really am. Yeah, because my first placement was high school and I was in an English class, so it was a lot of English. And then in um, in your second year of 
um, the education program, if you're, do, if you're in the intermediate senior division, that means you're grade 7 to 12. So they want to put you in elementary school so you can experience grade 7 or grade 8. And yep. when I met my MT this year and I realized how much she has to teach, I'm like, oh, my God, am I going to be able to do this? Like, I haven't done math in, since high school. <laughs> I still love it though like I love the idea that because in high school it's a fairly new idea um, so the the kind of the, the there, there was a time in high school where in secondary in Ontario where if you had a specific qualification you would sort of only be teaching in that area mm-hmm. and and not only that it was kind of it was it was often said that let's say you had a science background and you were teaching science at high school that anybody could be teaching a grade nine or grade ten course yeah so if they were trying to fill out your schedule well you might have for a full-time schedule you might have science but you know what you're kind of low on the seniority so we need someone to help out with careers or to do a grade nine english mm-hmm. and as long as it didn't sort of trip the um, kind of like the safety hazard, because there are some courses that you need some pretty specific safety training or technical training, like what, working in a wood shop. You could be given that course. Mm-hmm. N- now, the, the sort of like the rules of engagement have changed, and it was sort of, I think it was about maybe five years ago, that now what it is is that if, if you have an intermediate qualification, and some people are just qualified in intermediate, you can teach any course in grade 9 and 10. Yeah, I heard about that too. Yeah, and if you have a senior qualification, you can teach anything at intermediate and senior. The only tripwire is the is the safety safety and specific training point of view. So mm-hmm. like it could be asked. And I have had colleagues that you know they're they're history majors, and they've been given a grade eleven economics course. Yeah. When I went so, back, when I went back to my high school. And I saw that French teacher that I had. I was asking her how she was because I, my first placement, I got to go back to my old high school. That's so, cool. so I was asking her, I'm like, hey, how are you? And she's like, I'm teaching geography. <laughs> and she's like, I can't remember the last time I did geography. I'm a French teacher. I'm like, that's crazy. What was her energy around it? I'm curious. What was her energy around having to teach it? Did she find, she, did she find the silver lining? She she's she was always such an a positive, optimistic person. So she didn't seem um, upset or phased about it. She seemed excited, but at the same time, she was like surprised and excited. Of course, and I think that's really valuable. I'm glad that you had that experience. I really do. I'm I'm so glad that you have that experience. I I do believe fundamentally that if you have if you have cool training in a subject area and you love that subject area, and you're willing to just go to the nth of the universe to be awesome at that subject area, mm-hmm. I really do want you teaching in that subject area. Yeah. I, I do. I believe that in my heart. But I also, sorry, and as well, I recognize that the classroom and and school, as we know it, is, is changing. And it's kind of changing a little bit around us, and the expectation to only be a content specialist is changing mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm curious what does how does faculty frame that so when you're in in the classroom I'll take this back one step when I went to faculty I was fortunate because I came in so I had an undergraduate degree but I came in as a tech teacher mm-hmm. and the program I went to U of T the program that they had there I was with other um, technology teachers so I was in a cohort where there were electricians there were plumbers there were carpenters um, mechanics, there were some cosmo, um, like estheticians, because mm-hmm. they were all considered trades. Yeah. And we never had any courses on our trade. Mm-hmm. All of our courses were on how to teach theories of pedagogy, styles of pedagogy, classroom management, um, homeroom. Like it was all very techni- technical from a teacher. Like it was, it was all pedagogically centered. Yeah. I can, I can remember sitting in the library and listening to some science um, teacher candidates and they were taking courses in science and how to teach science, but it was basically a science course. Mm-hmm. And 
one of them was talking about their practicum and saying how, you know, they had to use an overhead. I'm dating myself a little bit. I hope, I imagine there's still overheads out there. Yeah, there are. <laughs> yeah, I know. Eh? Overhead <laughs> projectors. But they were talking about, they, they totally forgot the, how it's, it can be reversed slightly. You got to make sure like when you shift, it's kind of left is right, up is down. And when you're writing, yeah, don't yeah, yeah. it to the ball because you blind yourself. Like all these mm-hmm. little like nuances of using ed- educational tech. And I'm thinking to myself, that was actually just part of my last two lessons on how to position yourself when you're writing on the board so you can see your class, how to understand the muscle memory so that your hand is up and you can sort of gesture with the other hand, how to keep your eyes on the class, how to use the overhead projector. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized in that my teacher's college experience was very different than some of my science and math friends. Yeah. So I'm curious. And, and that was, I was being taught to be a teacher, not to sort of deliver my content. And mm-hmm. friend, this is, this is 12 years ago. How does that look now when they talk about you being a teacher? Do they distinguish between you being a teacher and you teaching your content? So or do they kind of lump it together? We have a lot of different kinds of classes, but for we do have classes on how to teach. For example, I took a course on how to teach English, and then I took a course, um, I just finished it in February, actually, how to teach history. And... It's my English one was we were actually taught like lesson planning for English, ideas for activities for English classes. But in my history one this year, my course director, she took it in a whole different way. We just we focused more on social justice, equity and stuff like that. Not really how to teach history because she knew that we did have assignments on that were based on like history or law or geography. But we um, we focused more on how to be a teacher to our students and how to mm. um, check our biases and things like that. But things like learning how to use an overhead and stuff, these are all workshops now. Like if you want to learn how to use a smart board, you pay 50 bucks for a workshop. Or if you mm. want to learn how to make a resume, you got to go to a workshop. And mm. everything is workshops now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They had some. They had some of that when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, the one, the one that I remember that fell outside of what we were being specifically, um, I guess, in class. The between the bells courses that we took. At the time, there was also there was there was quite a few, sort of like two and three hour sessions at night around special education. Yeah, I'm in a. I'm in an. Um, right now, I'm in an inclusive. We call it inclusive education. Yeah. We have a course on that. Yeah. Yeah, they sort of, they framed it. They went from special education and they started to use a term more of um, diverse learners. Mm-hmm. So they kind of broadened the um, broadened the, 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 the focus. So it would also include um, English language learners. Um, mm-hmm. uh, also different layers within special education, whether you're working with students with um, uh, MID or mm-hmm. it could be with developmental disabilities. So they included some of those pieces. But I remember those were, they were add-ons. They were, they were add-ons. And um, I always wondered at the time, actually, it was not a wonder. I, I, I questioned as an add-on, would it be important to me? For... Like, to take those other, to take the stuff that wasn't a part of my core. So. Mm-hmm. And um, unquestionably, it would have been. I should have taken it. I ended up taking my special education one as soon yeah. as I finished faculty, which helped. But it's interesting that those add-ons sometimes are integral. Yeah, so for me, this inclusive education course, I chose as an elective. But now at York, for they, they've re- recently revamped the consecutive and the concurrent programs. Now, for consecutive and concurrent stu- students, it's mandatory to take Mm. yeah that's good i think Mm -hmm. that is good yeah yeah for sure and when so much now is being filtered through you know the student success and growing success document Mm -hmm. and the layers that have sort of like built out from that which include you know development of iup and then you start to look at some of the equity papers that come out as well it's the more you, we really are in a place where we're moving further and further from content specialists into mm-hmm. the area of, you know, having to know the neuroscience, having to know the, the mental wellness science, having to know the learning style and learning development science. There's a lot of stuff out there that 
you know, it's it's almost really difficult to be just a history teacher. Yeah. Just a history teacher. So where I'd like to go next, if we could, is sort of, um, and I know it's, it's, it's early in your career, but I'm getting the sense like, I'm getting the sense like you got some of this stuff locked. Like you, you, you you're, you're, you feel confident to me. Do you feel confident? <laughs> um, it varies from day to day. If I have a good day, I'll feel confident. If I have a bad day, I'll like, oh, like those days. But I do, I can say that I do feel confident that I can be a teacher. Good. But I just feel like I wish I had for for the last year of my pro since I'm in my last year I'm this I'm graduating in June I wish I had more of um mentorship mm. which I've actually seeked out myself through going on Twitter and being a part of this stuff but I feel like a lot of MTs that take on student uh teacher candidates in their last year um think we know everything by now when mm-hmm. we've only had one year before where we were in placement. So, and I've heard about, I've heard um, these concerns from other people in my program and stuff like that. So it's not just me, but yeah, I just feel like everyone seems to think that we should know everything by now and have everything down locked and be ready, ready for the real world. And I do feel like I am, but yeah, I feel like I didn't get as much mentorship this year compared to my last placement. There is a, we, we've, within the mentors group, and we've had conversations um, about that. And one of the questions that I posed to the group, um, I think it was, I got to host two weeks in a row, which was pretty cool. Um, And one of the questions I asked, I just forget which week it was, is to the mentors, I guess it also with the teacher candidates as well, but what, what is, what is the, the, the proper way to sort of, honor the teacher candidate coming in like what is the best way to welcome them into the classroom and there was a lot of different um kind of povs on it different sort of perspectives as far as what the teacher candidate kept like what what they have access to access Mm -hmm. is the wrong word how how is their how is their um sort of taking over of the classroom how is that staged or scaffolded so I'm curious from, from your perspective then, what worked? What worked, you know, as you're coming into your practicums where you felt like where you were in your learning was honored by what you were asked to do in the classroom? Well, my first um, placement when I was back at my old high school, I had my, my MT was one of my old English teachers. And okay. she was the, she's the department head and um she was amazing like i feel like from that year i learned so much from her and the way she kind of did it was i still remember the first day i came into her class she just put down this whole folder of the outline of the year her contact information all her resources and class lists and everything like that she's like i'm here to give you everything you need to succeed right and the way we did it was I started doing lessons once a week because I was in once a week. I would, she would say, this is what you're going to teach, but send me by Sunday night an idea of a lesson. Come up with it on your own, right? So Sunday night, I would email her my idea of how I think, I think the lesson should look. And then by Monday night, she would email me back saying, this is good. This is what you might need to fix. This is what you could just constructive criticism. And then I would email her back like a good copy until we were satisfied. And then Wednesday I would come in and I would teach my lesson. And during my lesson, she would write down comments on my lesson plan about what I did well, what I need to work on, and then we would talk about it after. And we did this every single week. And it was so great. And I know it seems like it might seem like a lot of work. And she was really busy. She was busy all the time, but she always, she still made that effort for me to to give me what I needed to succeed. And that, like, I will always be forever grateful to her for that. And I feel like that is, like, the ideal mentor-teacher in my eyes. And you know what? I would have to agree with you. That's phenomenal. I think mm-hmm. that type of, that type of um, discussion frame, I think that type of expectation on you, I think 
that kind of collaboration back and forth, mm-hmm. the push and pull, and and here's an idea, and what about this? Yeah, that is that is great. Yeah, that that is great. At what what point within that that placement did you have a glimpse of the reality of teaching? So. There's, I can remember back there were moments where I really felt, um, I think back to my my associate that I worked with, uh, one in particular, I felt like they had just left everything to me. Like it was too much wide open space for me. Mm-hmm. And then my second one stayed with me every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, not getting in my way, um, not nudging me, but just I knew that she was there to sort of help me out. Mm-hmm. But my first one, I had a sense like it was just a little bit too wide open space for me to be in. And I, and I and I knew I knew the theory and I'd done the assignments, but I don't know if I got the best of what it felt. I don't know if I got the best of what it felt like to be a teacher candidate, because I wasn't prepared for the openness of being a teacher that they offered me. Like I didn't have anywhere to put that experience. Mm-hmm. So within your maybe within your first your what would, were some of your early practicums or your practicum now, was there a particular moment where you're like. I am a teacher. I, I, I did it. Today, I was a teacher. Do you have a, a moment like that? Yeah, actually, when I, when I did my block, she was, she, she had to do, she, she would sometimes be a way to do workshops, right? So there mm-hmm. would be a supply teacher in the class. And she would tell this right in her day plan that, you know what, the stu- for these classes, the student teacher is going to take over, right? And then she would tell me beforehand, and I would be like, are you sure I can do this? Like, you're not going to be in the room. What What if I mess up? She's like, you're not going to mess up. You're going to be fine. Don't worry. I have faith in you. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then the days went very well. There were ups and downs sometimes because classroom management is always something very difficult for me. Yep. And I, I know it's something that is going to take time. There's no, no one can tell you how to manage a class. You need to, you need to learn from experience, right? And yep. they were grade nine students, so they were wild. But just being able to take over those classes and her having her faith in me based on how she gave me the tools to succeed, those were the moments for me where I was like, wow, I'm going to be a teacher. I can do this. That's awesome. Those moments are, those are the, I can remember, um, it's funny, in that first practicum, just having the associate me feeling like I was left alone mm-hmm. in the practicum I actually felt and there were there were there were two occasions too where the the associate was at PD day things not PD day because I would have been off too but like you're right a conference or out for some sort of training mm-hmm. and, and I knew that I was going to have to plan to take care of everything Mm-hmm. The day, two days when they're away, I had it. Like I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and there was sort of um, uh, supply teachers in with me. But I ran the show. Yeah. And it's a, it's a funny thing when you're when you got it locked, you you can do it. You can do it. And I think I felt more nervous the days where I kind of knew what we we're gonna do, and the teacher was in the building or maybe the next classroom over, mm-hmm. but was sort of just leaving me to do my thing. It was a, it's a very strange sort of mixed up kind of psychology because. I actually felt like I did better the day the two on the two days when they weren't there, and I did have everything all ready to roll. Felt awesome. Yeah, I, I know that feeling exactly because when I feel like I would be more nervous teaching in front of my MT, and I would feel more intimidated, especially when sometimes um, other teachers would be in the classroom talking to her, and I would be doing my lesson. I'm like, oh my god, these teachers are watching me. What if I mess up? But then when I was around the students, just me and like the supply teacher in the corner, I felt more confident in myself. Yeah. Totally. I, I have exact, the exact same memory. Mm-hmm. It's funny how the, you know, the, the further distance I get from those early days talking with um, educators, it, it, it's such a common starting point mm-hmm. that we have. The, the nervousness, the um, can I do this? You know, what will the students think? Can I control the students? What is that student's name again? Like all these things. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a common story. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their small nuances to it. Yeah. We've all lived. It's such a cool kind of unifying story. I mean, you kind of, I mean, for the good stuff, 
but the stuff that's on some video, like, oh, come on, it has not changed yet. But, you know, for the stuff like this, where we're all beginners and apprentices, yeah, cool kind of, like, to have this origin story. Mm-hmm. So where I'd like to end off tonight is talking a little bit about the future. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's early in your career. Um, I am curious as to what, if you can sort of push yourself into, let's say, somewhere in the first somewhere in the first five years of teaching. So you're, you're there and you've got your, you've got your, your full-time placement at a school and you're, you're teaching something, you know, mm-hmm. but you'll be teaching something. Um, what is it that you, you see um, sort of coming down the pipe in education? What's a, what's a thing that's curious to you or what's a thing that you hope will be there when you have your full-time contract or you could even talk about a project that you think, yeah, when I when I get that contract, here's a thing I would like to do. Oh, this is a hard question. <laughs> um, I would love to, I want to learn how to incorporate technology a lot more because mm-hmm. um, I'm very fascinated by it and I do use it a lot, but hearing about all the different ways to use it in a classroom just really boggles my mind and I would like to learn to use it more because I feel like kids um, students are really um, connected to that and they really get more excited about Mm -hmm. that as well Um, so I'd like to be able to take on more of that like I hear about Google Classroom and all this stuff and I'd like to look into that and learn more about that and um, just different ways to incorporate technology but also um, bringing more of a sense of community into the classroom. When I was in high school, the drama students were always talking about how they were a family and stuff like that. And I never had that feeling in any of my classrooms that I was a family with anyone. Mm -hmm. And I would love to bring that into my own classrooms, this sense of family where everyone's comfortable with each other, where everyone can take risks around each other and everyone can just learn together instead of being in competition or being scared to say something or something. Just, it doesn't seem, it's not a big project or anything, but it's something that I would really like to see education go in that direction where it brings students more together where they can learn together instead of just everyone like at their own desk. Like, yeah. I think, I think you're, you're it, to say you're onto something it's almost it's um you're in the right place you're in the right headspace mm-hmm. there's there are so many so many initiatives that flow through the school that focus on something that needs to be measured mm-hmm. needs to be organized and something that needs to be kind of categorized you know and stuff that sort of ultimately ends in marks yeah um, there's no, you said the word family and I've had, I've been in that conversation before with uh, other school leaders and sometimes that, that type of language, I don't know if it's entirely rooted in our concept of education right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's suggested, we sometimes say community, we sometimes say connectivity. But that idea of family is a is a that's a powerful powerful tool for creating cool communities. If you can if you can accept that as part of your pedagogy, building family, and mm-hmm. it does come back to sort of where we started before, what you get your kids to feel, and then think about, and then do. God, that's going to last with them for a lot longer than their eighty five percent. Yeah. On, on an mm-hmm. EQAO test. Mm-hmm. So you're on the right track with that. And it, it, it's, and I will tell you that that as a project or that as a pursuit, that, that's a long, that's a long game. It is a long game. And I, and mm-hmm. I, and I wish yeah. you, the, you know, the best, the best of effort wherever it turns out. Um, <laughs> no, because it's, it's, it is one of those things. And yeah. I don't say that sarcastically. I say because there's a lot of room for you yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to play with that one. Mm-hmm. So any last words you want to throw down? You want to tell people where you can be found if they want to continue the conversation? Where would you like to be connected with? 
Um, I started up my Twitter just two months ago, just all at right. Miss Dance You. That's okay. so so far. That's all I got. Um, right now, I'm really into Royan's Doodle a Day um, thing for March. So I've been participating in that a lot. I've, it's been a lot of fun, actually. Awesome. Yeah, I really like it. And yeah, one of the, one of the things I'll tell you is um, keep keep tabs of little kind of projecty things like that on social on the so like your PLN and when you mm -hmm. see that kick up in Twitter. Um, it's it's kind of cool because you get a lot of really interesting people all collected around kind of a fun task. Yeah. But that's also a, the individuals that are choosing to play a part of that, there's two things to that. Um, I had in the conversation with, with Royan, when I talked to him, his, his aha moment with social media was the fact that not only at one point it was, you know, we sort of start with that idea of posting a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. and just sort of like pushing out content and both he and I he put it into words so much better than me but his, your responsibility for the audience or where that stuff lands that type of social contract but in the digital world serves you very well because what that means is you're creating something that is positive and uh, um, plausible in not only real life but in your digital life Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, some of the people that are playing with Royan right now um, are some pretty cool thinkers. Like, you know, they're all drawing and doodling coffee stains and, you know, stick people. Yeah, yeah. But check their profiles and check yeah, the where they're teaching and reach out and say, I love that stick figure, yo. Like, and you know what I mean? Like, you, you reach out and you close that loop. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you've got one more person you can talk to. It's a wonderful way to build your PLN through that authentic honoring their effort and just starting a conversation. So you'll yeah. grow, you'll grow with it for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been great so far. So I just, I can't wait to see where it goes. That's awesome. Well, Diana, it was awesome talking with you tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. How, I'd like to, how about, I'll, I'll cut you a deal. If you want, if you want, um, I'm sure we'll, we're gonna pass on the digital halls between now and, and, and whenever. Um, but I definitely want to, we'll set sort of like a penciled in date for when your, um, when you get that contract, whatever it is, whether it's part-time or full-time mm -hmm. and maybe we can do a, a, a revisit. We'll come back and we'll do some of the highlight reel from this conversation and see what it's like in that first week or two of, um, of your contract placement. Yeah. Sounds great. You think? And, yeah. and if the, if the edu gods smile upon me, I'll still be doing podcasts then. I hope so. I kind of, I dig it. It's, it's a lot of fun doing this. Yeah. It, it's also great. Like I think a lot of people are getting into it as well. Like today I was listening to, I was listening to the last half of yours with, um, Derek in my car. And yep. I was like, why haven't I been listening to podcasts all this time instead of just listening to the same songs repeat on the radio over and over mm -hmm. again? That was my yeah. path to come out of it too. Um, the one challenge that I'll give you is um, something that I've learned. I love listening to my colleagues and colleagues I haven't met yet talk about edu theory. Mm -hmm. Some of the some of the most valuable lessons that I've learned about teaching were not from podcasts about teaching. Uh -huh. So we can talk about that. I can share some resources with you on Twitter if you're curious. But it's yeah. That it's building the big picture of self mm -hmm. that sort of falls outside the sort of bells of the lines of you being a teacher. Mm -hmm. And it's always great to get the new ideas from the frontier. Mm -hmm. But there's also a parallel universe that exists around teaching. And we don't, you know, education is not waterproof or thoughtproof or soundproof. So that cool stuff that you bring in from the outside mm -hmm. can be awesome in the classroom. Yeah. And surprising to your students because you're not just thinking from inside the English bubble or just inside the math bubble or just inside yeah. the history bubble. You're, you're mm -hmm. porous and welcoming. So I'll share some, some stuff. If you're, if you're curious, I can sort of connect you with the links. Yeah, for um, sure. And uh, I wish you the very best of luck. I'm, Thank I'm, you. I'm thrilled for you and whatever, you, whatever step you take next and, and the best of luck with your, with your practicum this semester. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you're, it. You're very welcome. Have a good night. You too.
If you enjoyed what you heard on this podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe to Chasing the Squirrels. You can follow me, Chris Clough, at Chris J. Clough on Twitter. You can also find me on my blog, and that is Go Beyond Binders, and you can find that on Blogger. Please leave comments. Please connect. Please reach out. I'd love to talk to you if you want to be on my podcast. Hope you have a great evening. Take care.